Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of The Overwhelmed Brain. And this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about is not to be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, if you're a long-time listener, you probably notice the intro is a little different. <laughs> I like to change it up every 50 episodes or so. We're on episode number 160, so I appreciate your kind comments about how the show keeps getting better and better. Not that I get those comments, <laughs> but I appreciate those kind thoughts that you have. And speaking of thoughts, I'm going to lead right into thoughts versus intention versus communication versus what I meant to say was this. <laughs> have you ever told someone something or said something to someone and they just took it wrong? What I meant to say was this. I didn't mean to say that you're stupid. I meant to say that you didn't understand what I just said or something like that. But they took it a way that uh, you didn't intend. So your intention, when it does not come across the way you intended, <laughs> then you get miscommunication. You get um, feedback from the other person that says, this is what I heard and this is how I take it. Now, the question comes is, who is responsible for conveying your intention so that the other person gets it? Now, this is a hot topic, <laughs> especially around here in my own house, because how I convey something, if it's misunderstood, I take responsibility for it because only I have my own references, my own experiences in life. Uh, only I know exactly what I mean because it formulates in my head before I say it, and then to convey it in a way that comes across in, in the exact way I mean, for it to be misinterpreted is completely understandable. Completely. But this is my view. My view is, if I am not conveying the message to you where it has the same meaning that I meant it to have, 
then it's my responsibility to change the message and reconvey it, recommunicate it in a way where you understand. So this comes straight out of the book of NLP, for those of you familiar, Neuro Linguistic Programming, where one of the philosophies of NLP is when you're working with like a coach like me, working with clients, one of my philosophies is if I say something that gets misconstrued or misunderstood or misinterpreted, that it's my responsibility to restate it in a way where it is understood. I mean, it makes sense, right? Maybe it doesn't. (laughs) My girlfriend doesn't always agree with this in the sense that if I say something that she misunderstands, then it's also her responsibility to change her understanding of it. And the philosophy that I learned about many, many years ago is that the meaning of communication is defined in how it's received and understood or misunderstood. So if I say, you look lovely today, and you take that as, so yesterday I didn't? (laughs) If you took it as that, then my meaning complimenting you today that had nothing to do with yesterday, yesterday or tomorrow was misunderstood. So in order for me to help you understand where I'm coming from, I would then reconvey the message in a different way where I would say, no, you look lovely today. I'm not saying that you never did. I just noticed it more today. And, you know, this person could probably still come back and say, oh, so you don't notice it (laughs) on other days. I mean, it could go deeper and deeper and deeper. But the idea is to convey a message so that it's understood and to take responsibility for them not understanding your message. And this is where the um, this is where the disagreement in my own house takes place. Because I personally believe that if I cannot convey a message to you where you understand it, then it's up to me to reconvey it, to change it, so that the message is conveyed appropriately. I may not always be successful, but I still take responsibility for me doing that. And let me tell you what that does. When you take responsibility for your communication to someone else, it helps you to understand that you are almost literally creating the world around you, creating an environment, creating an, an, like an energy or, or a vibe around you. Because if I said something like, um, oh no, you, di- you misunderstood that word and you took it as, oh, you think I'm stupid. And I just came back and said, instead of changing what I said or conveying it a different way, and I just said, no, I just said you misunderstood that word. You can sense a little bit of hostility in my rebuttal there, (laughs) my retort. And if you sense that, you might get upset by it. But if I instead took responsibility for how I conveyed that message, then I'll come across as like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I just meant uh, the word that you just pronounced is pronounced this way or defined this way. At that point, whether they take offense to it or not is still a choice for the person receiving the message. It's, it's still going to happen, but it's a philosophy that I believe in that when you develop it, you create better communication all around because you take responsibility for how you convey messages instead of seeing people for less than who they are, for lack of a better way to say it. You don't see them as inferior. You don't see them as uh, stupid or unintelligent or anything like that. You just understand that the way you communicated the message, they didn't get. It's not like they purposefully didn't get it. They just didn't get it. So how else can you convey a message to them where they do get it? 
Again, you may not be able to convey a message that they understand. Maybe they have some past hurts or some triggers that every time you talk about that subject matter, they don't want to understand it the way you understand it, or they don't believe you. There's that too. But the whole idea of uh, this philosophy, which is the meaning of communication, is the response that you get. If you define the meaning of your communication on the response that you get from someone else, you get to assess how you're coming across. It's a reflection, really, of how you're coming across. Because think about uh, the, the messages that you're trying to convey or are conveying on a daily basis. And if somebody doesn't understand you, or they didn't hear you right, or didn't make sense, do you yourself get frustrated because they don't understand? And I think this is really where this comes into play. Because if you're getting frustrated by someone else's inability to understand you for whatever reason, imagine if you realize that how you conveyed that message is why they don't understand you, then you can't get mad at someone else. You can't get upset with them. So this is, this is how I do this at home. If my girlfriend doesn't understand what I say, or she misunderstands it, or she misinterprets it, which does and can happen, um, or she really gets offended by it, which is definitely not something I intended to do, then I have to reconvey it. I mean, you probably do this in a lot of ways. But imagine if you took responsibility for someone else's interpretation of your message. I'm not saying that that's absolutely what you should do, but imagine if you did. It, you get to keep a lot of your power. You also get to keep out the bad feelings that are sometimes associated when people misunderstand what you're saying or misinterpret what you're saying. You get to keep out the negativity because you can come back to yourself and go, hmm, the way I just conveyed that message uh, didn't get through correctly, so let me do this again. Now, where my girlfriend steps in on this, she says, it's not my responsibility if they don't understand my message. That's not my fault if they can't get what I'm saying. Now, I'm not saying she's wrong, but I'm saying that if you hold that philosophy, more feelings will get hurt. And I'm not saying you're responsible for other people's feelings either. <laughs> I'm just saying that what is the most resourceful way to communicate? Is it better to get louder and repeat what you just said and, and hope that they get it the next time? <laughs> no, I said you look lovely today. I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm talking about today. You look lovely, but forget it. <laughs> I mean, you can get upset with them. You can get upset that they didn't understand you. And it's possible that it, um, it triggers something in you like, well, people don't understand me. They must, they must think I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. Whatever goes through your mind. How do we keep that negativity out of communication? Take responsibility. Does that mean you're 100% responsible for everything you say and how it's interpreted? I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying if you develop that philosophy that you are responsible for how your message is taken and uh, how it's conveyed and what meaning other people give to it, then life is a lot easier and you get your message across. Because <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen this, but uh, like I knew a couple once that just were so passive aggressive with each other. Well, I could serve your dinner, but someone didn't do the dishes today. Well, 
I wouldn't have stepped on that thumbtack if someone had vacuumed the floor. Well, <laughs> it's just a back and forth of passive-aggressive comments. What would happen if I took responsibility for my conveyance of information? I mean, something like that, it sounds like they're intentionally wanting to hurt each other. But when you don't intentionally want to hurt someone else, then the way you come across, if you take responsibility for that, can be conveyed in a way they understand. It's a subtle thing, really. I mean, because we talk all the time and people misunderstand us when they do. And when it happens, we can repeat ourselves and we can get upset about it. Or we can repeat ourselves and it's no big deal. Or we can repeat ourselves and they still don't understand. So taking responsibility for how we're conveying that message gives us an opportunity to you know, learn how to communicate better, first of all. I mean, how does that not help a relationship? How does it not help to learn how to communicate better? And, and this goes along the same lines of uh, the stuff that you keep doing over and over again the same way uh, lead to a rut, lead to stagnation. So if I say, it would be great if the dishes were done uh, by the time I got home from work and I come home and the dishes aren't done, I might have some internal feelings about that. But if I took responsibility for how I communicated that message, I might go, hmm, it might be great if the dishes were done by the time I got home from work that day. It makes obvious sense to me that I want them done, yet when I come home, they're not done. So maybe I need to change the message, even though uh, I might think, oh, she still didn't do the dishes or he still didn't do the dishes or whatever. So I'm going to get angry about it. So I, so I really take responsibility for how I communicate it so I'll come across differently next time. Hey, would you mind doing the dishes before I get home from work so I can cook dinner? I'll make it an equal relationship. You do the dishes, I'll cook the dinner. And if they say, oh, oh sure, of course I will, then I'll go, wow, that was easy. How come I didn't just ask that before? Or I might say, how come they didn't get that message before? Maybe the message they got was, yeah, that would be nice if the dishes were done. Hmm, oh well. <laughs> it could be, <laughs> but the whole point is um, conveying a message that someone understands is something that if you accept that responsibility for, it improves your communication with them. My girlfriend uh, has said that, yes, you're responsible for your half of the communication and I'm responsible for my half in understanding. Now, where I might agree with that is that if I don't understand your message, that I should speak up. I don't understand. Can you rephrase that? Can you say that again? Can you help me understand? I am responsible for that. If you don't understand someone's message, then you should speak up. I don't understand that message. Can you, re can you repeat it? And they, <laughs> they're going to do what they do. If, if they take responsibility for their own communication, they're going to be like, oh, sure, I'll restate it in a different way. Or they might be one of these people that go, what? It's easy. How come you can't understand what I'm saying? Because they're personally triggered in some way. You must think I'm stupid. You must think that I have no book smart to be able to explain it to you. They take it personally. That can happen. But why go there? I mean, if you have uh, someone that you talk to a lot and there's a lot of miscommunication, it doesn't have to go there. You take responsibility for how you convey your message and the meaning that someone else gives to it which you know, we have no control over, but we do our best to convey it. And they take responsibility for the way they communicate and how they communicate the message and the meaning that you give to their communication. 
if you're both taking responsibility for your own communication, do you think communication would be a lot easier with people in your life? I mean, I personally believe it 100%. I personally take responsibility, even though (laughs) I'm not responsible for how they feel. I'm not responsible for what they do with the message. As long as they understand it, it's, it's my obligation to myself and I make it an obligation to them as well to do the best I can to help them understand the message without being offended. I mean, me, without being offended by them, by their reaction to it. Like, I don't get what you just said. If they say that, I'll go, oh, okay, well, let me reconvey it. I, sh- I don't take it personally. Oh, they don't understand what I said. Of course, why would they understand every single thing I say? There are people listening right now that don't understand everything I say. Sure, they might understand English, but sometimes you just don't understand a concept or an idea or, you know, some change in what you're what you normally do. How am I going to do it this time? And I give you a suggestion and you try that and it didn't make sense. <laughs> and you need clarity and maybe you have to listen again and try to understand it. And if we were working one-on-one, I would help you understand it by reconveying my message. So that's what I want to talk about in this segment is um, that uh, taking responsibility for the communication, your part of the communication, what you convey to someone else really does make life easier. It takes practice and it is a philosophy that you may or may not agree with. But just trying it out, just trying it on for size and seeing what happens, seeing the results that you get. Notice how it changes things. Does this work for everyone all the time? I don't know. Like I said, some people are triggered no matter what. Some people are in relationships now where most of the conversation is passive aggressive. There's nothing clear about it. And they just want to throw these emotional darts at each other. And hopefully one will stick and really hurt. I don't like relationships like that. I don't want relationships like that in my life. So I want to make it clear. And You know, some of this uh, making communication clear can be hard for someone who isn't used to doing it because maybe that might involve some authenticity on your part and communicating your wants and needs and communicating your boundaries and standing up for your values. That might involve communication that you're not used to. Like instead of saying something indirect like, oh, it'd be great if the dishes were done when I got home because you're maybe afraid to say, Will you please do the dishes before I get home? I mean, that's probably just a minor example, but it could be a major thing in someone's household. Could you please do the dishes before I get home? That might lead to some sort of uh, direct feedback that you're not you're not wanting to hear. Me do the dishes. You never do the dishes. I mean, it could lead to an argument, which is why we develop these passive communication styles. And then suddenly we're so passive that we we get to the point where we're not understanding each other at all, or we're getting all the hidden meaning. And I tell you what, hidden meaning is more interpretable, <laughs> more um, misinterpretable, I should say, than anything out there. If I am direct and I say, I would like you to do the dishes before I get home, that's pretty direct. It can still be misinterpreted because somebody could say, well, you would like me to do it, but you still didn't ask me to do it. <laughs> and that could be true. It could absolutely be true. So what you do with that is up to you. (laughs) I love the philosophy and I live by it that the meaning of communication is the response that you get from someone else and uh, try it out. See what happens. See, unless you're already doing it, but 
uh, if you're not, try that out. It, it does make life easier. And all the negativity that used to be wound up in communication, or at least a lot of it, starts to go away, starts to dissipate, or at least decrease in a lot of ways. So that's that. I wanted to share that with you. Let's get into our next segment called Ask Paul. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back. This is the Ask Paul segment. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through a challenge. This first email I'm going to read isn't necessarily a a question. It's more of a comment, and I'm going to read it just so I can comment on it. Let's see what it says. Uh, Paul, ever since discovering your podcast, I've been an avid, avid listener. Your perspective resonates with me, in particular this message, as it describes a toxic marriage that I left a year ago and I'm still reeling from. He has managed to delay the settlement with crafty tactics that master manipulators are so adept at. I know the scenario that you painted was generic. Uh, She's talking about one of my episodes on manipulative people, but it could have been lifted from any one of our many conflict resolution conversations. He has always made the point that I was so much smarter than him, feeding my hungry ego. Yes, I had academics beyond him, but it was no match to his emotional psychological warfare. He played off my vulnerabilities and had me and everyone else convinced that he only had our best interest at heart. The abuse left me fractured, and I'm still putting the pieces back together. Turns out that he is a malignant narcissist. And let me just say as a side note, according to Wikipedia, (laughs) because I didn't know what this was, a malignant narcissist is a psychological syndrome composing of extreme mix of narcissism, antisocial personality disorder, aggression, and sadism. Okay, often grandiose and always ready to raise hostility levels, the malignant narcissist undermines organizations in which they are involved and dehumanizes the people with whom they associate. It goes on from there, but wow. Okay, so you had quite the relationship there if that's what he was putting you through. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let's see, let me read the rest here. The abuse was insidious and eventually overt, but only in our home. In public, everyone believed his doting husband performance, which made me doubt further my own perceptions. As an independent sort of person, I've never wanted to identify as a victim, so I minimized the abuse, which of course exacerbated the problem, making healing all the more challenging. Reading your newsletter this morning was the validation I needed. I'm not crazy, but rather emotionally and psychologically battered. I'm going to be more compassionate with myself and put my recovery as a priority. I would love to do coaching with you, but I'm not in the financial situation to do so at this point. Meanwhile, I will continue reading and listening. Thank you so much for your generosity. Sincerely, insert name here. (laughs) I'll call you Jane. So Jane, first of all, thank you so much for sharing this. I wanted to read this on the air because... I have a feeling there's a lot, well, I don't have a feeling. I know there's a lot of people going through your situation. I was going to say women, but men go through this too. There are women manipulators out there, and I've heard from their partners. But statistically, at least in my experience, more men are very crafty at manipulative behavior. So A, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being candid and open about what happened to you. I think if someone's listening right now who's going through a similar situation, If they hear your words, 
then maybe they'll go, you know what? I'm going through that and I need to wake up or do something now. I mean, you already may be woken up, but you just need to do something now so the healing can start. I mean, that's one of the most important things you said is that I've got to start this healing. How do I do it? I got to get away from the manipulator in some way. I mean, if you can't leave physically, then you have to disconnect emotionally. You have to stop, and this is one of the most important. If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to anything I say in this episode, one of the most important things you need to do is stop feeling guilty. I know it's easy, just stop feeling guilty. But the reason you feel guilty is because they a manipulator makes you feel guilty. They do it on purpose. It's that's their job. At least a lot of these manipulators, that's their job. So if they can make you feel guilty then you'll stick around. Then you'll more likely listen to them because you think you're wrong in some way. If you think you're wrong in some way, then you must think they're right in some way. Or even if you don't think that, you feel guilty because you feel sorry for them. They had an abusive childhood. They had um, a bad relationship, a bad marriage. And now their manipulation tactics on you are they stem from some dysfunction in them that they went through some sort of trauma as a child or older or whatever all of that's valid i mean in the sense that yes i would feel bad for someone who went through trauma but i stop feeling bad when they treat me in an abusive way i stop feeling bad when they put me through trauma don't repeat your old past trauma with me. Repeat after me. (laughs) Don't repeat your old past trauma with me. This is our relationship. If you have a relationship with your abuse, you need to take care of that. If you want my help, I will drive you to therapy. I will buy the right books, find the right videos, whatever. I mean, I'm just making stuff up right now. Yes, you can help the abuser when they know they're abusing and they want help, uh, but don't feel guilty because that's what they got good at doing. I know it's easy for me to say don't feel guilty because usually abuse victims have a bigger heart or a big heart and they're compassionate and they're kind and they're caring and the manipulator knows how to exploit that. And it may not even be a conscious thought. They may just think, I want my needs met. How do I do it? Oh, make you feel guilty. How can I make you feel guilty? I'll cleverly craft this um, scheme that has 270 levels under the surface that you'll never figure out what I'm doing. And I will manipulate the situation to the point where not only can I get what I want, but I'll also make you feel guilty for thinking I'm wrong for that. And I'm also going to make you feel bad for me. I mean, the whole thing is... A complex process that someday I'm going to have, I'm going to break it down and I'm going to have the formula so somebody can uh, look at this formula and go, okay, so when he does this or when she does this and that leads to that and that leads to that, I can tell there's manipulation going on. In my brain, where I go with it, you can almost always tell there's manipulation going on as soon as you start feeling guilty in the relationship. Unless you literally did something wrong, if, I mean, or something that betrays or lies or deceives. If you're literally going out there deceiving and being dishonest, 
And that guilt is coming from within you going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's within you, your own thoughts. That's different. It's different than someone convincing you that you did something wrong, making you feel guilty for it. Although the problem with that is that happens in with regular people that don't manipulate as well. So this is where the subtle gray area, subtle difference between uh, a manipulator and a non-manipulator. The manipulator will will use that as a tactic every time because they know all your weaknesses, they know all your you know, vulnerable points, and they'll use it and they'll make you feel guilty. And then you'll feel so guilty that you'll stay in a relationship and continue getting abused. Whereas a non-manipulator, someone who's not really trying to, you know, juke the system, juke the relationship system, they may say something that makes you feel guilty, but it wasn't necessarily intentional. It might be something like, well, why did you do that? That hurt me. And then you feel guilty about it. That's different than someone explaining to you what the situation looks like uh, and what you did to cause their behavior or you know, something they did or something that you did that led to led to something else down the road. It's like I said, it's complex. <laughs> it's a formula that you, you need psychological trigonometry to figure out because they've been doing it all their lives. So they know what they're doing. You just cannot figure it out typically, especially because when you're in the thick of it, you can't see the forest through the trees. You just cannot see how they do it. But you can tell what's going on inside of you. You can tell, hmm, I feel guilty and I don't know why. I feel bad for that person. I also feel battered. <laughs> I feel bad and battered. In fact, I feel all these things. Why aren't I leaving? Oh, because oh, that poor guy. That poor guy's been through so much. That abuse that he went through his past. Yes, you should have compassion for people who are abused, but you give no compassion for people who are abusing you. The problem is they know how to mix it up. Oh, it's my abusive past, and that's why I do these things to you. I'm so sorry that I do these things to you. And then it catches your heart, like, oh, it's coming from a hurt place. Because uh, we know that quote um, or term, hurt people, hurt people. People who are hurt within will hurt people. It's still not an excuse. <laughs> it's still not an excuse. I was hurt. I was. Uh, I learned how to um, fine-tune my environment, fine-tune my emotions when I was a child so that I wouldn't evoke uh, what I call drunk dad behavior. My stepfather was an alcoholic. I didn't want to see his aggressive side. So I learned how to behave myself, control my own behavior, and control the emotions of others, control the thoughts of how people thought about me. This is that people-pleaser aspect that I developed and also made me a, like a, a neutralizer of situations, a mediator. Like, how do I keep the peace? How do I keep the calm? And it made me super responsible. It gave me uh, several things that worked for me in life and several things, several more things that worked against me in life. And they are what I would call the dysfunctional part of me that I had to go through some a lot of healing for. Uh, and one of the things that came out of my dysfunctional abused childhood was that I was highly judgmental of my partners and my relationship. And I had perfect justifications for my judgments. I had the best excuses to the point where I knew how to make my girlfriend, my wife, I knew how to make all of them 
feel guilty for doing nothing wrong. That's, I'll say it right now, sick. (laughs) I was sick. I had a problem. And uh, it wasn't until my divorce when I finally healed from judging. Because judging destroyed all my relationships. And I'm sure there was some other things in there like manipulate. I, I learned how to manipulate in many ways. For me to go from this heavy manipulator to where I am today, I don't even know that person that I was. I don't. I mean, I do, I shouldn't say that. I do. I know that person, that person I was, but I will never go back there because it doesn't feel good. When I was in it, it felt good because I thought it was right. I thought if I control the people around me, if I control my environment, then I'll get my needs met. But when I stopped trying to control others, uh, I realized what I was holding on to. Because judgment has a lot of negativity attached to it. Uh, some of it was hate. A lot of it was fear. And as I held on to that, uh, that's how I became judgmental. Holding on to hatred or fear or anger, holding on to any of that creates uh, behavior. So that's what manipulative people do, is if they have fear inside of them or anger or anything like that, then they will exhibit behavior typically in an effort to control their environment and to control you. How do I get rid of this fear? Well, what if my fear is that you'll leave me? You know, I have some sort of abandonment or rejection issue. If my fear is you'll leave me, you'll leave me, then I'm going to do most likely dysfunctional behavior in order for that scenario not to play out. So if I fear that you'll leave me, then what I will do is make you feel guilty, make you feel inferior, make you feel less significant so that you can look at me and go, well, at least he loves me. At least she loves me. At least the person that even though I don't feel safe with them and they make me feel guilty and they maybe yell at me or coerce me or lie to me or betray me, at least they love me. When you fall into that trap, they've won the game, or at least temporarily. They learned how to pull at your heartstrings. They've learned how to manipulate you. They've learned what they need to say and do in order for you to continue feeling bad about yourself so that you'll stay with the person that is doing it to you because you believe they're the only ones that can see the real you that is not the inferior person that they just convinced you that you are. It's a mind F. (laughs) You know what I want to say. It's a mind F. It is crafty communication. It's crafty manipulation of the situation of you. It, It puts them in a place of power and makes you feel powerless. And once you feel powerless, you feel like you have less options. And you also feel like you need help. And guess who's there to help you? The manipulator. The one who is molding the situation to fit his or her needs so that you stick around, you feel bad about yourself, and the only good feelings you get are the ones that they supply you. That's uh, abuse. And it's subtle because no one outside of the relationship sees it. And just like you said, Jane, um, everyone outside your relationship thought he was this perfectly wonderful husband. 
But inside the relationship, nobody saw that. And nothing was overt. You weren't getting beat up. And no one saw the physical signs. They probably thought that you were the crazy one. That you were just making things up or seeing things that weren't really there. And I'm here to say no. (laughs) You're definitely not crazy. And I'm so glad that you are starting this healing process. uh, Or have started by you know, leaving him, like you said, a year ago. And unfortunately, you have some other things that are coming up because he's prolonging the settlement process and uh, doing things to make sure that it never ends so he can continue his manipulation. But as soon as you are separate from him, where there are no ties, and there might be ties, there might be children involved, and then you'll have to do other things. But for the most part, no ties to you directly you can have shared ties, but no ties to you directly, then not only can you start healing, but he can also choose to heal as well. I mean, he may not realize it. I mean, if he has what he says he is, he may not even know that there's any problem with him whatsoever, which is unfortunate because some really good people are hidden under these um, behavioral conditions or personality disorders that uh, they could be really good people, but they don't or can't because of this uh, behavior. So, yes, we can feel bad for them from afar. We can feel sorry for them from afar. Because abusers who were abused, we feel sorry for. But we have to take care of ourselves so we don't get abused. How do we do that? We get out of abusive situations. So, Jane, like you said, you realize that you're not crazy, and and I totally agree. (laughs) You're not crazy, Um, In fact, the crazy making process that manipulators do is called gaslighting. So if you want to look that up, that'll give you some insights on what's happening there. You were, from what you described, emotionally abused and psychologically battered and own your victimness. You were a victim. You were duped in a way. I mean, probably not duped, but you got to a point in the marriage where uh, you were getting manipulated more and more and more. And it was harder to get out because of that manipulation. And that was all done on purpose to meet someone else's needs and and ignore yours. So I don't want that for you. I want you to start honoring your own needs, honoring your own values, honoring your boundaries. And then when you, if you choose or when you get into another relationship, if you meet someone that honors you honoring those things, There you go. (laughs) There is gold. That's what I want for you. So thank you so much for writing this. And I wanted to comment on that because I've had a couple episodes on manipulative people and um, I'm getting letters out of the blue talking about people's situations in manipulative relationships and what can they do and or, or thanking me for showing me that the signs that they're seeing, it's not just them. And one of the biggest things I see all the time is Only I see my partner's manipulation. No one else does. That's intentional. That's purposeful. That's manipulation. That type of behavior where you only act manipulative toward that person and everyone else you put on an entirely different show. And even if you video recorded your transactions in your marriage or in in your relationship and you showed it to other, other people, outside the bigger context of the weeks, months, and years that you've been together, they still won't see or very likely won't see what you're going through. They'll probably come up and say, well, he's just saying that because X, Y, Z. 
or he just did that because of, or she just did that because of X, Y, Z. And then you'll just, you know, you'll put your face in your palm and you'll go, oh, you just don't get it. You just don't see it. And then they'll think you're crazy and the crazy making continues and you feel more and more powerless. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. I wanted to share this with the audience of The Overwhelmed Brain because if anyone's going through this, I'm 99% sure you're not crazy. I can't account for that 1%. (laughs) But I hope you got some value from this letter. Thank you again, Jane. We have time for another letter. I'm going to read that right after this. All right, this is Ask Paul Round 2. I'm going to read another listener uh, email on the air and see what I can do to help them through a challenge. This next letter is from someone I'll call John, and he uh, says, Thank you for your podcast. I've been listening to them for a few months now, and I found them very comforting and helpful in many ways. Thank you, John. He goes on to describe a breakup that he just had out of a four-month relationship, and he said in this relationship he really fell for this girl. He said, I fell very hard for this one. And he goes, I know that when it goes this fast, it's already a red flag, but I don't feel as though I could have slowed it down. She was one month out of a two year bad relationship. And I have a feeling that I was a rebound for her, even though in the beginning she assured me that I was not. After the whirlwind first few months, she emotionally checked out of the relationship. It was very painful for me at the end. And I started to feel crazy and isolated. This became too much for the both of us, and she left. I went cold turkey and broke up and cut off all contact. Though we parted on fairly good terms, I find myself obsessed with thoughts of her and still very much in love with her. I can't seem to move past this and feel as if I'm stuck in a loop. She got in touch with me a few days ago to return my stuff, and we spoke briefly, and she has moved on pretty well. I know she doesn't think of me as much as I do of her. She's also not in the least bit interested in working things out. Here's where I need help. Why is it so hard for me to move on from this? I've read literally all the breakup guides on the net. I've accepted it as over and will not be together. I've tried expressing my pain and rage as best as as I can. I've tried keeping busy by exercising, yoga, and other hobbies. I have a big trip coming up, but I can't even seem to find any excitement for it, uh, nor even start planning it properly. It's starting to affect my work and social life. I find it hard to find joy in anything anymore. I'm generally an upbeat, happy guy, but I feel like that guy has died. I've been in longer relationships, but for some reason this one feels so much harder to work through. I adore this woman, and she has all the traits that I look for in a partner. I feel as if I've lost someone so special and never really got a chance to have a relationship with her. I had been single for a year before I met her and had been working on myself and finding contentment within myself. I realize it's still early, but I don't feel any improvements happening. Surely, after only four months together, I should at least be seeing some mood improvements happening. I still cry daily, and I think of her nearly all the time. I feel like it's becoming an obsession, and I just want to move on from this. Thank you for taking the time to read my email, and I'm grateful for any advice or tips you can provide. All right, John, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you know, this is something that Probably everyone listening has experienced a breakup, or most people, especially when you're young 
and you just learn about love and you really fall hard for someone and then something happens and you break up and then you're just crying every day, sometimes for weeks or months. And uh, what I call that is the death of a relationship. And the crying is the grieving because of that death. Now, speaking of death, you said that you're generally an upbeat and happy guy and that you've been working on being content in yourself. And you said, I feel like that guy has died. Let me ask you this. Did that guy die because of the breakup? Or did that guy die when he started depending on his partner for his happiness? Because there's a difference in investing yourself so much into the relationship and then when the relationship ends, you lose a part of yourself. Between that or investing your happiness in the relationship so when the relationship ends, your happiness goes along with it. There's a, there's a difference there. And if you've invested your happiness in the other person, and you've probably heard me talk about this, then you're putting a lot of pressure on the other person to make you happy. But that begins before the breakup. I mean, assuming there's going to be a breakup, in the sense that you can't wait to see them next week. And until you see them next week, you'll not be happy or you'll not be as happy as you can be. This is one of those subtle perceptions that once you understand what's happening, it's like, wait, 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 wait. You step back and go, am I depending on my happiness by my partner's presence, by them being in my life? They can make me happier, but who am I when they're not around? So there's there's one perspective, is that if you invested your happiness into the relationship and when the relationship ended your happiness went along with them that's probably what you're feeling and if that's the case why did you invest your happiness in in that why does your happiness depend on her presence in your life i mean it may be an easy question to answer it may be hard i don't know typically what happens is we give our heart to someone else and then when there's a breakup betrayal or something along the lines where there's some sort of separation or mistrust or something like that, then it feels like they've stomped on that heart. And now we're wounded. And now we have to grieve um, and go through a process, a shifting process of, wow, I felt completely safe with you and happy and comfortable. And you just burned this, my safe house down. You just blew up my comfort. It, it feels like I was tricked because I put my trust and faith in you. So if, if you are in that space where you feel tricked, it's going to hurt. And then you mix that with all the wonderful feelings that you had in the relationship because, you know, she said things to you that no one else said. She did things for you that no one else did. She made you feel special. She made you feel safe. All these things that are mixed in with the pain. We, we tend to only see the good stuff and not remember what happened. Like you said, she emotionally cut off from you. So my next question would be, if you could get back into a relationship with her where she emotionally cuts off from you, would you still want to be in that relationship? You might say, well, when she wasn't emotionally cut off, it was great. It's exactly what I wanted. 
Yes, but she emotionally cut off because of something that she couldn't handle or couldn't share with you for some reason. Which leads me to my next question is why do you think she couldn't share with you something that was going on in her? Did you in any way make it unsafe for her to be with you? You may not have, I'm just asking, but if she felt in any way unsafe to share with you, that would cause her to disconnect, emotional withdrawal, what I call it, Um, or if she felt that you might take things way too personally, and get hurt, she might not want to hurt your feelings, which would cause her to emotionally disconnect. And from the way you wrote your letter and the things that you said about crying every day, I have a feeling that maybe your sensitivity uh, played a role here. Like maybe you were so sensitive that her sharing something with you like, hey, you know, this thing isn't working out as, as I thought it might. It would probably devastate you so much that she didn't want to face that So she just decided to close off completely. And if that's the case, then that would be something that you'd look at in yourself. Like, why am I so sensitive? Is this something that I need to look at? What's causing me to be so sensitive? And then you just go through a scenario like, okay, if she told me, I don't want to be in this relationship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the first thing that you feel? Like when when I try this exercise, I go, okay, my girlfriend says, I don't want to be in a relationship anymore. First thing I'm going to go is, why? Why would you say that? I mean, what's wrong? And so I'll start thinking of, you know, worst case scenarios. How about, I met someone else. I'd be like, what? And this is something you'll have to explore in yourself. But right now, what's happening is that you're grieving. Now, the letter I'm reading right now is probably a couple months old. So you may have gotten to a better place since then. I hope you have. But this is what happens after the breakup. You start grieving. And it does feel like a part of you died. So the next place I want to take you is, let me ask you this question. Let's just say her name was Jill. John and Jill. (laughs) Maybe I should call you Jack. But let's just say her name is Jill. If you met someone else that wasn't Jill, but made you just as happy, if not happier, would it matter if it wasn't Jill? I think it's a good question. This is this is what I asked myself after my divorce. Because I said, you know, it's got to be my wife. I'll call her Cindy. <laughs> it's got to be Cindy. It's got to be no one but Cindy. Cindy is the one that made me happy. And then I asked myself the question, well, if I met someone else that made me just as happy as Cindy, if not happier, Will it still have to be Cindy? Will I still be so distraught about Cindy? And I had a little mind shift and I was like, whoa. I had to think, is that even possible? I go, well, of course it's possible. I've had a history of breakups and new relationships. Of course, every relationship I have is a little different. The people I meet are all different. We all have the ability to love in our own way and in different ways and What's wonderful is the uniqueness of each and every relationship that I've had. They've all been unique. And your next relationship, if you choose to get into one, will also be unique. And you can also choose to invest your happiness into it or not. And all I mean by that is that you're not dependent on someone else to make you happy. 
If you really are content being on your own, then whether they're there or not should not affect that completely. It will affect it, but it shouldn't affect it completely where you're so attached that when you break up, you're still crying months later. So this is probably an insecurity that you have to work on in yourself. I am insecure when I don't have a partner. I'm insecure or I feel unworthy or unlovable or unimportant. This is real pain. I know how it feels. I've absolutely been there. But what can I do to feel better? Well, one of the things that I like to practice is something I've talked about before is visiting the child that you are inside. Because right now your child is crying. Your child isn't getting the the motherly love that he got when she was in your life. So how can I give my child motherly love? If you get along with your mom, you could probably do that. (laughs) If you don't, or if she's not around anymore, then I practice just going in my mind and visiting myself when I needed my mother's love or my father's love or any love from the adults or caretakers in my life. I go back in my mind and I think, when was I in the most pain and needed the most support and nurturing? Similar to what I feel like right now in in this breakup. When did I feel that as a child? And then I'll visit myself as the adult I am today in my mind and go talk to my child and give that child the support and the words and the comfort that, that he needed. Hey, I know it hurts, but I'm here for you and everything's going to be fine and you're going to make it. You know, whatever comes up for you. And that helps because if you didn't receive this as a child, especially in your time of need, then you take this insecurity and wanting and needing and desire for this deep, deep connection that you didn't get into your relationships and then make that relationship uh, almost, and I hate to say this, um, a parent-child relationship where you're getting that love from the nurturing adult. But you need to come into it as the adult too. And that's, that's where it's hard sometimes. And I'm not putting you down for that. I've been there and we all regress to that child role when we're hurt or a lot of us do and it it hurts and it feels painful but then we step in and go you know what I'm here for you talking to yourself I'm here for you it's going to be all right you're going to make it through this and right now John you're in the grieving stage and uh, you may or you may be just getting over it now that it's been a while but once you get past this grieving, your head's going to clear. Things are going to get look up. And um, as you start investing your happiness in yourself again, people are attracted to that. I'm not saying you get into another relationship right away. I'm just saying that uh, it's hard to be attracted to someone who's down on himself. Um, but once you invest in yourself and go, you know what? I don't care. I'm in pain. I'm just going to do what I have to do. You get through the stages of grieving and then you finally get to a point where you're more comfortable in yourself and realize I've had pain and I'm going to have pain in the future too. And it may be regarding this or it may be regarding other things, but I just needed time. It's always about time. I just need time. And like you said, if you find yourself obsessing and you just really want to move on from this, then step in and give yourself the nurturing that you need. Because if you're going to obsess over anyone, obsess over yourself. Don't obsess over her. Because if it's not her, it's going to be the next person or the next person or the next person. 
and whoever you bring into the next relationship might have to do this all over again. So guess who needs the most nurturing? It's your inner child. It's that person inside of you that reacts when it's hurt, that feels unloved, that feels rejected. You do need to visit that part of yourself. I mean, if you still uh, are having trouble getting through this and over this. And it doesn't matter if it's four days, four months, or four years. A relationship can bring out uh, a lot in us and make us very vulnerable, uh, especially when we feel the most safe with someone. And the more that the relationship brings out in us, the more we are somewhat unprepared when it ends. And what happens when something goes awry in someone's life? We want to comfort them. We want to say, hey, I'm here for you if you need if you need me. So you do that for yourself. So I know this is probably on the surface practical information that doesn't really help you. But no one can help uh, someone when they just start grieving. Or at least in the first few stages of grieving. Because there has to be uh, like a flushing out of the emotions and the thoughts and uh, just the, the bitter reality that everything is really happening. So it's all about uh, time and healing, and I hope you're in a better place. I hope you write back to me and tell me where you are. I, uh, I want to know if you're doing well or if you're not. <laughs> Maybe we need to explore it a little further, but when you get a chance, just uh, let me know. And That's all the time we have for today's show. I'm going to end this episode and uh, get to some thank yous and my final thoughts. We'll be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Harry's. Go to harrys.com and use the promo code OVERWHELMED, and you'll get a free trial set with your bonus post-shave balm. I'm telling you, it smells really good. <laughs> Harry's.com, promo code OVERWHELMED. And I hope to see you in the TOB patron program, where we have private episodes, worksheets, and all kinds of things that you won't find on the regular website. And of course, uh, group coaching sessions, which uh, one is going on the day this episode was released. So if you're listening to this on Sunday, we're probably talking about stuff right now. Hope to see you over there. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and we'll connect on the inside. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased a book or a worksheet or used the Amazon link on theoverwhelmedbrain.com. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back. So if you feel like you get value from this show and you've been listening for a while or maybe you just started listening Use that Amazon link every time you shop. And the more you buy, the more the show gets supported, and we appreciate that. So thank you for that. And a real quick thank you to uh, three reviews in iTunes. You know, I talked about um, getting a bad review in iTunes, I think an episode, episode or two ago. And uh, I always love when that happens. I know it's weird. <laughs> but I love when it happens because when there's a bad review that for anything that you do or in my case, for this show, when there's a bad review, the people who really love and support you, they come out of the woodwork and they rally to show that that you're not as bad as this person says you are. There's always supporters out there for you. So I'd like to thank 
Wesley87, Aurora Member, and Leah AM99 for their very glowing iTunes reviews. And uh, I am very honored that you did that. And let me thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. As a final thought today, I want to talk about the letter that I read, uh, sort of, and something that happened in my past uh, of the round two segment of Ask Paul in today's episode, where, you know, uh, you have a breakup and you feel sad and you're hurt. And sometimes you can use the, the word devastated. I remember feeling this way when I was a teenager, when my first girlfriend left me. I cried like a baby, <laughs> not by myself, right in front of her. <laughs> and uh, she gave me the news that, oh, maybe we should, you know, break up or see other people or something. I was like, what? <laughs> I started crying because it hurt so bad. And there was a lot of healing that I had to do from that. But I was in a very uh, vulnerable space. That was the first love of, love of my life. And uh, I didn't know what to do with that information. And so I can understand how this happens as we grow up into adults and suddenly we're in the middle of a breakup and we don't know what to do. The information is new and shocking and we thought this was going to last and now it's not. Now it's ending and it hurts. But the ending shouldn't be surprising. I mean, it is most of the time, but... Why do we let it get there? And this has to do with um, something I said to John in uh, the second Ask Paul segment, which is, who are you being to your partner? Do they feel safe communicating with you at any level? Do they feel safe being honest with you? And um, I talked about this in another episode about what you bring to the table, you'll get back. So if you bring full authenticity to the table, you'll typically get that back. If you bring full transparency and honesty to the table, you'll typically get that back. But if you hide some things, even some things that you don't want your partner to see or know about, if you hide anger towards your partner, guess what? They're going to hide something too. That's how it works. (laughs) At least in every relationship I've ever been in, that's how it works. If you hide something that you don't like uh, that they're doing or... Uh, something that needs to change in the relationship because it bothers you. If you hide that, they'll find something to hide too. It's because people don't feel fully safe, or at least uh, fully uh, they don't feel like they can be fully authentic with you because they sense inauthenticity within you. In my 13-year relationship, I hid all my anger and fear. I hid all the negative stuff that I thought my girlfriend wouldn't like to see in me. So I hit it. I didn't want her to see, quote, a bad side of me. And because of that, she eventually hid her emotions from me. Because she didn't feel safe sharing them with me. There was something that she couldn't understand what was happening. She sensed some sort of inauthenticity in me. So she stopped sharing some stuff in her. People sense it. They know it. Just like um, when I talked about manipulative people today. When you're with a manipulative person, you sense something's wrong. So your behavior changes too. And your feelings and emotions change based on what they're doing and what's happening to you. And sometimes you don't understand what's happening. With my girlfriend, she didn't understand what she was sensing in me. But she knew that uh, she couldn't connect with me. She couldn't bond with me. 
and it was because I didn't show anger. Someone who doesn't show the full breadth of the emotional spectrum is, well, for the most part, maybe should be questioned. Maybe sh- should be looked at and go, hmm, he only shows me these 12 emotions, but these other three, do they not exist? Is he not afraid of anything? Is he never angry with anything? Is he or she never upset about anything I do? How is that possible? I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying that for the most part, when that happens, when you only see the happy side of the person and never see the anger, never see the fear, never see anything like that, then it makes me believe that they're hiding something. Again, it's not in all cases. I mean, maybe there are people walking around in blissful happiness that have no anger, no fear. I'd like to meet them. <laughs> but even um, like someone like Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, he, he pretty much talks about how he's let go of his ego. But I've heard him say that he doesn't like being touched by other people. Yes, that's a preference, but I do wonder if there's a fear there. Or is that like a, a taking of his energy? There's something in there that uh, even though he has no ego, there's still maybe he treats his body as sacred. I don't know. But, you know, first thing, he's honest about that. I don't like to be touched. Great. Because I think somebody asked him about getting massages or something. <laughs> I don't like to be touched. So he doesn't get massages. But instead of, you know, not talking about it or not saying anything about it and just avoiding people, he says it. That's honest. So you can connect with someone who's like, oh, okay, well. But even someone like him, who has managed to successfully disconnect from ego, still talks about what he doesn't want, still talks about his sensitivities, is still vulnerable and is still authentic in what he wants in his life and what he doesn't want. And this works for any of us. If you're in a relationship and you want something or you don't want something and you're honest about it, your partner's going to know exactly where you stand. Everything's out on the table. Great. I know where you stand. And since your stuff is on the table, I'm going to put my stuff out there as well. That doesn't mean that you're going to have a 100% authentic, honest relationship. When that happens, it's special and great and a lot of the times hard. (laughs) But when it happens, you know it because... Uh, As things come up, you're going to have that conversation that you don't want to have where your partner comes up to you and says, I don't want to tell you this because I know you're going to get upset, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Mm, That's a good, honest conversation about to start. That's a great thing. Good. If you can have those types of conversations, then you have something real. Then you're not surprised if the relationship ends. It doesn't sneak up on you because you've been honest up to that point. It's like there's a section of my book that I wrote, um, this book that's coming out in January called The Overwhelmed Brain. I wrote a, a section where, you know, I worked for this company in the 90s for four years. And I never complained once. I never said anything bad. I never wanted to make anyone think I was disappointed. So what happened was I got burnt out. There were things that were bothering me and I never mentioned it to anyone because I thought mentioning it might get me fired or whatever. So I got burnt out and I finally decided to quit and I went into my boss's office and I said I'm gonna it's time for me to go I want to give you my resignation and they were like wow uh, is there anything that we can do to make you stay that would want to make you stay and I was like what (laughs) you're asking me that question that's you actually care what I want It, it didn't make any sense to me like 
all this time I could have said something and made this better and made my job easier or made working here more tolerable or even more fun? I could have said anything and I didn't? Why wasn't I authentic? Why, why couldn't I have been authentic? At least if I was authentic and complained about what I was doing, I could say, look, these reports are too hard. I can't do all these reports in one day. I need help. And if they said no, then it wouldn't surprise them if I quit. <laughs> because I kept telling them, there's a problem in the system here and I'm going to leave. You know, I would be more honest. Which nowadays I do that kind of thing. I'm, I'm more honest and I give people a lot of heads up before I say, you know what? It's not working out. See ya. <laughs> but back then I wasn't. I was just too scared that uh, things wouldn't work out for me. Even though s speaking up would make them work out. It doesn't make sense now that I look back at it. But it was coming from a place of fear. So my idea in any relationship is to not come from a place of fear. Is to come from a place of I need to speak up about what's going on inside of me. Uh, about what I like and what I don't like. So that the other person knows and can either honor that or not. It empowers them. And it also allows them to be themselves too. Well, you shared all that with me. Let me share this with you. A lot of it's hard, but it's very, very healthy. And that's where I want you to be. As healthy as you possibly can. And that starts with opening your mind and stepping into your power. And being firm in your decisions and actions. So that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit